My question wasn't, is God good? Because I could look at his word and see that he was. And his word was so real to me at that time, even when that happened, because we had already experienced some other difficulties that brought me to that place. But my question was really, is he good to me? A reflection from Sarah Haggerty about some of the uh, questions that she had towards God in the midst of really challenging life circumstances. And you'll hear her story today on Focus on the Family. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, you know what? Life is hard. Um, I experienced that especially as a child, and it is part of life. And you've got to begin to understand that as a Christian. What is the Lord up to? Why does he let his people go through suffering and pain? What's the purpose? And uh, sometimes you can get lost in that, and you can question God. You can even become bitter toward God. We have a guest today who has walked a long and tough road in so many different ways. Not just one aspect of her life has been difficult, but she still holds on to God. Yeah, and her story comes through beautifully in a new book called Every Bitter Thing is Sweet, Tasting the Goodness of God in All Things. And uh, Sarah's a first-time guest here, Jim. She is. Sarah, welcome to Focus on the Family. Thank you so much for having me. Man, uh, we have read your book. It is fabulous. Um, just you. the tone of it, the feel of it, the way you write. I am Thank really you. impressed. And you're a mom of how many kids? Five. And what are their ages? <laughs> well, my oldest is 11 and my youngest is one. We <laughs> <You>, span. <laughs> okay, and you just somehow found a place to write a book and all somehow that? Somehow in there, by God's grace. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, you said you were kind of compiling this as a family memoir just to mm-hmm, not was. lose track of those thoughts and those ideas, but yeah, it turned really, into I, a book. It's so true. I connect with the Lord as I write. And so for me, it's, it really was a journey with God to write and process on paper that I didn't really anticipate would be in the hands of other people and you know, sitting by their bedsides. But God had a different plan for our story. It's so much like that's often what he does, huh? That different Mm -hmm. plan. You think you've got it nailed. In fact, uh, talk about how you became a Christian. What was your home life like uh, with your mom and dad? And and where did God get a hold of you? I grew up in a great family. Uh, My parents, a very intact family, and family was really central to their uh, value system. And when I was 15, I went to a Young Life camp where I heard about Jesus, not for the first time. I grew up in a Catholic home, and so I had heard about God and went to church every week. But at 15, it really resonated with me that I could have the opportunity to make a choice to invite Jesus into my heart. And so on a snowy fall weekend, I asked Jesus to come into my life and was involved in Young Life and came to know him in high school as being more than just— you know, in the pages of a Bible that sat on my table, but really a God who began to speak to me through his word. Mm. And that's so often, that's the difference, isn't it? Is that embrace. There's a knowledge of God and then there's the embrace. That's exactly right. And I think, you know, teenage years are those years where you really grapple with it and think, do I want this for myself? It was a part of my family DNA, but 15 was the time that I got to say, I really want this and him. Now, what happened uh, when you were 15? You got pretty uh, intense about your relationship mm-hmm. with God, too. Talk I about did. that. Well, somewhere along the way, I developed this understanding that, that following God was like a treadmill, you know, and we just, it was bigger and better and faster and harder, and we turned it up and we ran. And, and I, I had this perspective that as I grew in God, I would turn the treadmill up and my muscles would grow stronger and the output would just be more noticeable and powerful and 
in some ways, that worked for me for a while. I really had a heart to see nonbelievers come to know Jesus. And as a high school senior, I was reaching out to high school freshmen and telling them about who Jesus was and watching their lives change. And so that worked for me for a while, that treadmill. What got your attention? That you know, what that distracted you? You're working for the Lord. You're living for the yes. Lord with some intensity, is how you describe uh-huh. it. You know, but what got your attention that maybe you needed some balance in your life? Well, it was in my early twenties. I got married fairly young, and shortly after I got married, I remember actually being on my honeymoon, and I had this you know ten days of books and being with my new husband and just space and time. And I remember sitting by the pool and and my had my Bible in my hand, and I thought I, I had kind of an honest reckoning with God where I thought, I'm reading this like it's a history book. This feels boring to me. Huh. And I recognize that you are not boring, but there's some disconnect here. And it was around that time that I started to pray, God, there has to be more of you than what I'm experiencing right now. And I didn't put the pieces together that turning up the treadmill and running harder and working harder for God was in fact emptying me out on the inside because I wasn't leaning on him and finding the beauty of his grace. But he, as he so often does, worked through my story. After that prayer, my life began to unravel uh, circumstantially. And the beauty of what happened in that unraveling is God started to come and say, okay, now I'm going to really whisper to you in this pain. What was that first uh, kind of buttress that came out from under your world? What? How did he get your attention? Several months after that prayer, and, and of course, all of this is so crystal clear in retrospect, you know, yeah. but when you're living it, it doesn't seem that clear. That but several horrible. months, it does. Yeah. It really did. Several months after that prayer, I started to recognize, wow, the things that I've desired, impact in ministry and souls saved for Jesus and influence are happening, and yet I'm still feeling so empty. And I, I was grappling with some depression, mm. and my husband and I were newly married and stubborn and rubbing up against each other and going, "How this isn't what we thought our first year of marriage would be. What were in that context, that's very good, because mm-hmm. I think particularly women, I'm not sure that men as often have expectations quite as high yes. as what wives, newlyweds particularly, mm-hmm. do. They think, okay, needs will be met, certain hungers that I've had in my heart will be met, and then they get into it. And after the honeymoon, you're going, even during the honeymoon, you're going, okay, that's not there. That's exactly right. And what? Who what, is this man I married? <laughs> what kind of friction did that create for you? Because are you thinking, I married the wrong guy? A whole lot of friction. I wasn't so much thinking I married the wrong guy, but I thought this is not going to continue to work like this if we continue to be the way that we are. And I didn't have a paradigm for how do we, I know who I am and he knows who he is and the two of us together, we're just, we're, we are sandpaper against one another. Were you fearful at that time? I was. I was very fearful. At 23, you're full of expectation for your life and ambition and dreams. And to really quickly realize these things aren't panning out like I thought they were, I felt very out of control. To help uh, that person who may be there right now, what were the types of things that you were arguing over? Are they simple things like how you squeeze the toothpaste or was it really deeper? It was deeper. I mean, we did have some of those simple arguments. Sure, we had different ways of doing life, but they were deeper. I saw life through the lens of this treadmill. And in many ways, I think the Lord brought my husband who didn't have the same self-inflicted rules for himself to bring me out of that. But we hadn't gotten to that point where we saw the groove, the beauty of our differences really bringing the best out of one another. And so I would see him 
walking through life without all these self-imposed regulations and be frustrated. You know, why isn't your treadmill going faster? Why aren't you running harder? And he would see me and go, you're turning your treadmill up and you're not finding God and you're exhausted. Like, there's got to be another way. And so we both just kind of button up against each other. How did you really go deeper then and figure out how to reconcile that? Was that part of the journey over the years? It really was. I think the first thing was both of us. Now, my husband, independent of me, that same month, prayed the same prayer on his own. We didn't realize it until much, much later. God, there has to be more of you. Because he, although he didn't have the same treadmill, he had been running hard in ministry and had a similar experience. And I think each of us, it started us on a journey of going, God, who are you in your word? We want to see your face. I want to know. I, For me personally, I was saying, I want to know who you are when no one is around and no one's seeing me. I want to know what it's like to have you whisper to me about the parts of me that nobody sees. Hmm. And Nate was on his own journey, maybe not asking those questions in the same way. But in a sense, we sort of had to walk parallel paths before we intersected and went, we're both falling in love with this God afresh. Yeah. And then we can look at each other different. Well, in fact, you had an awareness that you needed something to kind of break that logjam, if you will, uh, and, and help you move forward. Uh, do I understand you had a counselor appointment at least? Uh-huh, we did. And that was some of the mercy of God. So, you know, I got to a point where my heart was so conflicted that I went to counseling and I thought, I cannot even believe I'm doing this. I'm going in the back door. I want no one to see me. Why you know, did you feel that way? Because I felt like counselors are for the real people who were down and out. I mean, they had to be the real dregs to go to a counselor. And they yet were losing here I was. Yeah, they were the losing. That's exactly mm-hmm. right. And here I was walking up going, I, I, there's a white flag here. I can't do this anymore. Little did I know that this counselor would bring such life to my heart and to my marriage. And when I met, the first day I met with her, she said, how much do you think your husband knows of you? And how much do you think you know of your husband? And I said, well, 85%. You know, we've been married for a couple months and dating for a year. And she said, might I suggest that you know like 1% of one another? Huh. And I left, and and something clicked in my mind as I began to process with the Lord. If I only know 1% of my husband, how much do I really know of the Lord? Hmm. And it was a little bit of a fire in me, like, I want to know more of this God than than what I've made him up to be. Um, Sarah, let me ask you this. When you look at your relationship with Christ, and we still have to get to the tough stuff that you're going to be going through, Mm -hmm. and we're going to do that in a moment. But when you look at knowing somebody, I mean, we're talking about the deepest of intimacies in so many marriages, and there's seasons for this, but so many marriages are superficial. I mean, we're busy. We have young kids. I mean, look at Uh you. You got five kids (laughs) under 11. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's busy time. Um, To be even thinking straight, I applaud you. (laughs) 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 But, um, you know... How do you create an environment where you and your husband can be honest with each other and love each other enough to talk with that kind of intimacy? I'm talking emotional intimacy, Mm -hmm. to be able to be real so you can know 30% or 50% and him know you in that way. So many people hearing this are saying, I want that relationship with my spouse. What would you say to them? I would say the circumstances that God has put you in that you are most resisting may very well be the things he is using to unlock your heart. I remember one particular day where my husband is an entrepreneur, and that you know that, that rubs against someone who has, wants a linear plan. And his business, we found out over a period of days, 
that there was uh, some accounting errors. And so where he thought he was actually doing fine, his business was in the red and we weren't going to be able to take a paycheck. We found out over a series of days. And it's, it was big debt. Oh, big debt. Yeah. And, we, and we're not debt people. I mean, this was just like a shock to our systems. And he, of course, is feeling everything you can imagine as provider. And we met for lunch, um, met back at a house where we were staying for lunch. And I said to him, you know, we're, and it was in the moment, I felt like the Holy Spirit was really overshadowing me. I said, we're going to push back the furniture and dance because this is where we find God. Wow. And it was really, uh, it was an opportunity. I'd messed up dozens of times before then resenting my circumstances. But in this moment, I was going, we're going to come out of the other side of this and have known him and have fallen in love with each other even more in the midst of it. I can't describe for you what that must have meant to your husband. Wow. Because Gene has done that for me. Hmm. And I got tears in my eyes thinking about it right now. Because when your spouse, particularly as a husband, when your Hmm. wife responds with that kind of uh, understanding, Mm. that desire in us to um, be adequate and to be enough as a man to fulfill that for you as a wife, when your wife can dance in the moment of panic, Mm. that gives you incredible confidence as a man to move in a good direction. And uh, I'm just saying for wives who feel like, okay, I'm upset, I'm bitter, Try to seek the Lord in that moment because your husband needs your confidence and you will give to him in some incredible ways. Well, and the beauty of that story, you know, that I, I don't know that I could have done that at 23. I think of the psalm that says, Your waves, deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. I had had years of waterfalls that had been overtaking me and resisting and resisting. And I think it was at that moment, not not at that given moment, but that season, I should say. Where I started to realize, I'm going to, instead of resisting this, I'm going to lean into it. And God, I want to see what you want to produce in me here. And I think that just gives the Holy Spirit an invitation to have us be someone who we couldn't otherwise be to our spouses. Mm. Sarah, let's get into that nitty gritty. You pray these prayers. You have an awareness, you and your husband, Nate, of where you want to go. You're still struggling, Mm -hmm. but the Lord starts to uh, allow some pressure that really hopefully draws you closer to him in the end. When it came to infertility, Mm -hmm. uh, that was one of the battles that you and your husband had. Describe that and the emotion of that. I think infertility in some ways can be very universal. What I felt um, was I expected my life to go this way and that I would hit these certain markers at this time, and I cannot get it to work like I thought it would. So infertility was both the ache of... I'm a woman, and I was made to create, to hold a baby within my womb, and I cannot. But then also the very real, I'm 30, I'm 32, I'm 35, and I thought that I, my womb would be open, and it's not, and there's nothing I can do to change it. What would the, the immediate response to that when you talked to a doctor and heard that news, what was the emotion of that? What did you feel at that point? Was it abandonment by God or was it um, what? My question wasn't, is God good? Because I could look at his word and see that he was. And his word was so real to me at that time, even when that happened, because we had already experienced some other difficulties that brought me to that place. But my question was really, is he good to me? And the, the when I heard that news and I started to wrestle with it, it brought up a lot of inner dialogue with the Lord 
you know, why is this friend blessed and I'm cursed? Why is this friend getting what I want and I'm not? What what and it it actually revealed that this had been an age-old question that I'd had of the Lord. You're good to other people but not to me. Something must be wrong with me. Well, and you're so right to say fill in the blank. It may not be infertility. Exactly. For the person listening that feels exactly what you just described. You bless them, Lord, but you don't bless me. Mm-hmm. Do you not love me? Mm-hmm. Talk about that because that's where bitterness takes root. That's and many exactly people right. step off of their relationship with God at that point. And that's where I think the dialogue is so critical. I remember going to baby showers, which were just, uh, I had to work huh. myself up to go. And then I'd come home and, and struggle with resenting these women who had what I didn't have with feeling alone because they didn't recognize that here I am sitting in this room as they're telling their birth stories and it is such a pain for me with then this question of God being good to them but not to me. And it was as if those times were then the invitation of the Lord to sit down and say, Daddy, this hurts. Mm. In fact, um, you are a very good writer. I said that at the beginning, and I want to say it again. I want to give you a little quote or read a quote Mm -hmm. for the folks um, that capture that. You said about your infertility, my awareness of my infertility was as variable as the rain. Some days it was a drizzle in the backdrop of my story. And other days, it was a downpour altering my whole day. That is just beautifully said. I mean, again, so many people could put different nouns in there, but that describes that sense of God is with me, God is gone. Mm-hmm. My day is fairly okay. My day is a disaster. That's exactly And you were going right. through that the whole time. Huh? And I was, and I think that's where the invitation came was God saying, talk to me about it. It sounds so simple, but really how often do, is it the drizzle in, in the backdrop of our minds? And we just run to our, our crutches. Mm. Another shot of caffeine, another escape on the internet, another fill in the blank, coffee date with a friend for women. I mean, those things are not bad, but ultimately that pain can be an invitation where God says, I want you to just sit alone with me and tell me about your pain and find out who I am. Did you get brittle though toward God? Did you get angry? Did you, how'd you express that? Is it okay to get angry with God? I definitely think it is. For me, I got angry, but I also feel like that season was when I really got sad. Mm -hmm. And I think sadness was a gift. It was the Lord saying, when you're angry, it's a little bit of a mask of what the pain is underneath. Sadness, it, it bridges a gap between our broken heart and who he is to the brokenhearted. And so my tears were like this connecting point between me and the God who says he's near to those who cry. And so me. you were able to still connect in that way with God. Yeah, and that 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 is my story, that that pain actually became the most beautiful conversation with God. No more sitting by the pool going, this book is a history book. These pages to me became life because he huh. was... These pages are full of who he is to the brokenhearted. That's basically it. Yeah. Uh, Sarah, again, I think that um, insight is so helpful to all of us, not just women struggling with infertility, but so many aspects of life. So I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. But it didn't end there. Um, your dad, about the same time, um, you got news about your father. What happened? Interestingly enough, I had just written in my journal, this hard season is over. I mean, I still was infertile, but we had walked through many other hard things, and I thought, this hard season is over. Light at the end of the tunnel. Light at the end of the tunnel. Written in my journal, and a week later, I'm in a 
sterile hospital waiting room and we hear the doctor say that my dad has been diagnosed with stage four brain cancer, a very aggressive form and had months to live. And And was it a dagger? It was, it was the worst night of my life to have gone through these layers of pain and feel like it's over and then be introduced to another wave of pain and, and to know that we had a journey ahead of us with my dad. And, and then all over again, it surfaced the questions, I thought I understood you, God, and you were bringing me out of this, and here we are all over again. Huh. I mean, that, uh, it's so tender to describe it that way. Mm. Um, and again, did that take you in a, to a good place, a tough place, a bad place? How did you process that with the Lord? I mean, were you questioning him once again? Knock, knock, Lord, here I am. What are you doing in my life? There was a layer of just shock. I mean, we went through a period of time that was shock. But my dad did end up dying 10 months later. And I had prayed for years. I think a lot of us can relate to this notion of wanting to know God as Father. In my mind, I thought, I know he's a father, but I just had never related to God as Father. And I, it was always perplexing to me because I had a great relationship with my dad, so I couldn't put together why it was so hard for me. Uh-huh. But I had been praying it throughout this whole time, even before my dad got sick. God, I want to know you as father. And my dad, we buried my dad in October. And two months later, actually, as my husband and I were driving across the country together, I looked at him, and, and he was in a place of, of hurt in his own life. We both were continuing to walk through this. And God gave me words for my husband that I didn't even know I had inside of me. I mean, I spoke over who he was and life into him. And just, I believe God gave me his eyes for my husband, peeled back the veil, and I saw Nate through God's eyes. And that night, as we both sat back kind of in awe of this Holy Spirit overshadowing, that night I went, this is what it feels like to know God as Father. If it's not too personal, just so we could get a glimpse of that, what did that look like? What did well, the I Lord think for years you? I had picked at my husband. For years I had an eye for his flaws. Because that's honestly <laughs> how I think I, re- I thought God related to me. God was kind of, wasn't he always looking at us, wanting to better us and pick out our flaws and point them out and mm. move us along a spectrum? And my husband, who's very strong just in personality, he just stood steady in that. But on the inside, it affected him. And then to have his bride look at all the hidden moments of his life. You know, nobody's seeing these hidden moments, but his bride is. And say, you're strong and you're steady in God. And you're faithful. And when no one's looking, you have integrity. Those were the things that I said to my husband. And really, it was like the Lord going, Sarah, I have eyes for you that you can't even begin to imagine. I'm not sitting picking apart your flaws. I can't wait to tell you how much I love you. Sarah, that is so powerful because so many of us in the Christian community, we don't get that. We think God is that coach only in that he wants to pick apart where we're not doing the job. And we self-impose that, don't we? Uh, We get that imagery of God in that way. But God is not that way. He is in our corner. He's the one there for us, even with our flaws. That's the great news, is you don't have to become perfect to be a child of God. In fact, he wants you imperfect so that he can work on those things with you like a good, loving father would. That is so and, true. I mean, it's so awesome the way you're describing it and saying it. And uh, I just, for marriages, it is great for us mm. to think in these ways because I think 
many more marriages would survive if we truly loved each other this way. Hey, uh, we're at the end of our time. We have covered some terrific ground, mm-hmm. and I love your heart. I love your writing uh, and your book, Every Bitter Thing is Sweet. Sarah Haggerty, um, the author, the guest. I want to ask you some more questions, and I want to dig a little deeper with some of the other things that God uh, brought you through. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's do that. Come back next time. Oh, I'd love that. All right. That would be a great honor. Well, we indicated that Sarah is an incredible writer, and her book is deeply reflective. It's going to help you walk through your own questions that you might have about God and uh, toward Him. Our program was provided by Focus on the Family. And on behalf of Jim Daly, I'm John Fuller. Thanks for listening.